0: The model minority, an identity society uses to make many of us feel we are not enough. And a myth, yes, myth, used to obfuscate how people actually leap ahead. Dr. Vivek Murthy is the ultimate model minority, an Asian American who went to Harvard undergrad. Yale Medical School and Business School, the triple Ivy bomb weaponized by many parents at the dinner table. Why can't you be more like him? But his type A pedigree does not explain how he catapulted into the position of Surgeon General of the United States. That's right, at age 37, just seven years into being a full-fledged doctor, Vivek Murthy was nominated to become America's top doc. That crazy leap happened not because he checked the boxes. It happened because he broke the rules and chased a feeling.
1: And I felt this energy sort of rising, like, off my spine. And I never forgot that because I came out of that experience feeling like, hey, this is what I want to experience. Like, I want to work on things where I feel like the universe is conspiring to help me and to guide me.
0: From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Artifeh Shahani. This is Art of Power. Today, we dismantle the model minority myth by taking a man who seemingly personifies it and telling his true story. How Dr. Vivek Murthy became the youngest Surgeon General in modern American history.
1: Think on your feet for our fast and curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org/events.
0: Let's rewind to summer 2008. Vivek is in Cambridge, Massachusetts. He's a young new hospitalist at Brigham and Women's, one of the top hospitals in the country. He's working a gabillion hours a week. In his downtime, he wanders into a campaign meeting. It's for then-presidential candidate Barack Obama.
1: My friend had taken me to a meeting uh, of folks who were involved in the campaign, and many of them were talking actually about the Obama health plan.
0: Then, like now, and pretty much every election cycle, healthcare was a major issue, and Obama was going out on a limb. Universal healthcare, getting everyone insurance, was not yet a mainstream idea. Obama wanted to get millions of uninsured Americans covered, in part by creating a public insurance option to compete with private options. Vivek noticed something odd at that meeting. He says nobody in the room practiced medicine besides himself, that absence of doctors. It was a symptom of a big problem in the culture of medicine.
1: Most doctors came into the profession with high ideals of wanting to have a voice in communities uh, for improving health. And over time for many doctors, that dream became smaller and smaller and it became enshrouded in paperwork and in fatigue and all kinds of other systems-related issues that bogged them down and created distance between the reality of their practice of medicine and the ideals that brought them to the profession.
0: Essentially, Vivek believed, doctors had become, quote, cynical and disenchanted with the whole process of health policy change. And that's why, or at least one big reason why, no other doctors were standing beside him.
1: They had lost their faith. That the ideals could be real and that they could have a voice.
0: Vivek, it's such an interesting insight because, you know, when I think about the doctor, that person, whenever I'm in a room with him or her, they're always the one in charge. I would never think of that person as feeling like they lack agency (laughs) because they're always the authority figure when we're in the room together.
1: Yeah. Actually, one thing I'll just say parenthetically is I think this is a a larger challenge that I think we, we face in society is I think the way that we tend to look at each other, is often very caricatured and stereotyped. So we, we see you know people as doctors as being privileged and having comfortable lives. We see people who have fame and reputation as being all set. But the truth is that regardless of where you are in life, we are all struggling often with insecurities and with worries and anxieties that we don't talk about very often, but which can make us feel disempowered uh, and even paralyzed at times.
0: You know, Vivek, uh, parentheses are always the main point. <laughs>
1: yeah, I hear you.
0: Well, I, I hear you is what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> For years, Vivek had felt disempowered. But at that campaign meeting, something inside him shifted. Vivek liked that Obama wanted to cover everyone. And also, Vivek felt this health care campaign. It could be a vehicle to, in his words, help give doctors their power back. He left that night. He pulled out his phone. He started calling some of his doctor friends. Just a few phone calls in, it was clear he'd hit a nerve. His friends and their friends jumped on board, enough of them to form a group. They called themselves Doctors for Obama. Their first big goal? Get doctors to put their names on a petition to support Obama.
1: We're trying to figure out, well, how many signatures would we need? on a petition like this for it to make an impact. We had absolutely no idea.
0: Signing petitions, that was not very doctorly. Political veterans guesstimated maybe they would get a few hundred signatures max.
1: So we said uh, uh, to ourselves, well, what if we say that we are going to get 10,000 signatures?
0: Go big or go home, right? The VEX team put out the call, and they got 1,800. Not bad, but not the goal.
1: And you know, I remember getting on a call with those of us who are core organizers at this point and saying, OK, how are we going to get 8,200 more people?
0: The team set a deadline of two months, end of summer. When they tapped out their personal networks, they did what the people who sell essential oils or Cutco knives do, ask friends to recruit friends.
1: And slowly, we started seeing the numbers tick up. And they started going up and up, and the slope increased. And we finally hit 10,000 signatures at 10 p.m. on the night before our deadline.
0: It was Vivek's first campaign victory. It was also a proof of concept.
1: The movement that we had hoped was possible was, in fact, possible. That the doctors that we believed would show up, that those doctors were, in fact, there. And they were there in force.
0: 10,000 doctors used their real names to support candidate Obama. Now, if you're thinking, okay, that's impressive, but I've signed petitions with thousands of names, what's the big deal? I want to explain something. Vivek's campaign was distinctly rebellious. He had the gall to break one of the biggest unwritten rules in his field. Doctors, you do not dive into politics, especially so overtly.
1: The truth is, when I look back on it, there was some risk. The patients I was caring for may have said, hey, you know, we think that you're a political doctor. We don't want you. It was also possible that colleagues in the hospital with whom I work would say, we don't like you being out there supporting a candidate's health plan that makes you look partisan even if you're not. The idea of getting doctors to publicly sign on to support a candidate's proposal, that was seen as unthinkable.
0: You were comfortable going against the grain in that way?
1: I was, yes. And why? To me, this was an issue of principle. It was a question of, are we willing to and able to come together as doctors and stand up for the values that made us join the profession in the first place? And it was that piece of it. bringing together physicians around a core set of values that was so exciting and engaging. And that really eclipsed any sort of risk that there might have been.
0: I spoke to several people in the medical field who say, despite his shiny credentials, his campaigning, it could have ruined his reputation. It could have gotten him blacklisted from a lot of respectable positions. His was not model minority behavior.
1: to me the upside of being able to work on building a movement that was consistent with our highest values that was so deeply rewarding that it made it worthwhile and it, it didn't really there weren't many moments or any moments really I can think of where I stopped and said hey I think this is going to be too dangerous for me I should step back
0: When people do unusual or risky things I wonder where that drive comes from. It's not easy to choose the unconventional path. Is it something ingrained in the DNA? Or the opposite, an extrinsic notion of who they're supposed to be? For Vivek, it was a feeling. A feeling that he says he was chasing for more than a decade. Vivek grew up in South Florida. His family would visit India, where they're from from regularly. On one trip, teenage Vivek and his sister met a doctor who worked in schools, teaching kids about HIV-AIDS. This doctor, she was doing her education work all alone. So Vivek and his sister decided they wanted to organize a small delegation of American college students to come help her. You know, totally normal teenage adventure stuff.
1: You know, one of the great things about doing what we did when we did it is that we were really young, and so we didn't have a lot of experience, and we weren't cynical yet either. And so I think one of the things that sometimes happens as you get older is you start being able to, in a very intellectually rigorous way, document all the reasons why an action might fail or a project may not go well.
0: Vivek flew off to Bangalore, India, and he started door knocking in convent schools run by nuns, of which there are many there. His American accent ended up being a secret weapon.
1: Because even though uh, sometimes people would look at us with suspicion or even a little disdain, saying, oh, you know, you're outsiders, you're foreigners. You know, in those days, America still held a high place of regard in most people's mind. And it was what made, I think, some of the school administrators pause and at least listen to what we had to say.
0: He still got a whole lot of no's until one nun finally let him in, then another and another. Vivek ended up speaking to thousands of students that summer, and in the process, something happened. It's hard to put it into words. Words don't capture the weight, the depth, the peculiarity of it. Vivek was standing in front of maybe 400 kids at an assembly,
1: and I felt this energy sort of rising, like up my spine, and just extending from me uh, to encompass and include. Uh, all of those other students and it felt like this uh, surreal but incredibly powerful moment of deep connection and purpose and I never forgot that because I came out of that experience feeling like hey this is what I want to experience like in my life like I want to work on things where I feel such a sense of flow that I feel like the universe is conspiring uh, to help me and to guide me to create something that will hopefully benefit uh, people at scale. And so I chased that feeling for for years.
0: An energy rising from his spine. That's the feeling Vivek had. By the way, it's a thing. I talked to my mom about it. She told me there's a Sanskrit word for it. Kundalini, a divine energy at the base of the spine. Vet consciously and unconsciously searched for that feeling again. It was a hard, painful search. Lots of angst.
1: You know, I think of it kind of like, in many ways it's like falling in love. When you know what it's like to be in love with somebody, and God forbid if you break up with that person, you spend years and the time you know after that relationship searching for true love again. Mm. And you know what it's like because you felt it.
0: Vivek sought advice for mentors, well-intentioned people. He says he got a lot of good advice, though it was not right for him. One really close mentor assumed, incorrectly, that Vivek was really focused on the issue of HIV, as opposed to the process of building community, irrespective of issue. This mentor encouraged Vivek to become a healthcare policy wonk. Research, write white papers, like literally some of the most cerebral antisocial work you can think of total spine energy killer.
1: It it took me several years to finally be able to say to myself and then later to him, you know, I don't think this is the right area for me. You know, as much opportunity as there is, I think I need to find something else. And I just don't know what that is. So there were a lot of moments like that, you know, of of trying to figure out whether the advice I was getting applied to me or not, of figuring out what my gut was versus what my fear was uh, when both were speaking quite loudly to me.
0: The great thing about losing something, you don't lose the memory of it. The awareness is there, right? It's a driving force. Vivek's memory of that assembly in India, it pushed him to keep searching. He finally found what he was looking for 13 years later at that campaign meeting. So your candidate, President Barack Obama, wins, he becomes president, uh, and you do not Disband the gang of doctors, uh, you transform from Doctors for Obama or for Obama's healthcare plan to Doctors for America. Why?
1: This was early in 2009, and it had become clear from what the president and his administration were saying that they wanted to make healthcare one of their top priorities right out of the gate. We were excited by that. There was an, a moment, though, where something happened that concerned us because When they announced that healthcare was going to be a priority, then there was a question of who's going to be out there supporting it. And all of us were waiting to see what the traditional medical organizations would do. And so one of the first organizations that ultimately weighed in on this was the American Medical Association, the largest physician organization at that time. And they voiced serious concerns uh, about the plan and said in particular, they were deeply concerned about the public option which was part of the Obama plan at that time. And so when that letter came out, within minutes, news networks, CNN, and all the others were covering this letter and were saying that doctors have now come out against uh, the Obama health plan. What is he going to do?
0: And the doctors in particular are on record as opposing this notion of having a public plan, a government-sponsored insurance plan. Republican lawmakers who opposed Obama's health plan fed off the news. Here are Senators Mitch McConnell and Roy Blunt.
1: As reported in today's New York Times, the nation's doctors are strongly opposed to the
0: so-called government plan that appears to be gaining steam here in Washington. They are
1: absolutely opposed to a government-run healthcare plan. And that was very frustrating to us because we knew that there were thousands of doctors around the country who supported the health plan. And we felt that this was also bad because it made the public think that doctors are somehow against uh, fixing many of the issues that we're dealing with and against constructive solutions, that they are once again opposing you know, efforts like Medicare and Social Security and efforts to extend services to people that they nearly need. So one of the things that we tried to think of in the days that followed was what can we do to visibly and clearly demonstrate that The AMA letter does not necessarily speak for all doctors and that there, in fact, are doctors all around the country who want to move forward with some version of the Obama health plan.
0: Vivek and his little group, they flexed. They got the White House to host an event with them. It was scheduled to take place in the Rose Garden. Now, just for context, the Rose Garden is where presidents host world leaders and Olympic champions. It is officialdom incarnate, a sign that you have made it.
1: Well, some of this was luck and an accident of fate.
0: I spoke with one of his partners in crime, Dr. Alice Chen. She's important in all sorts of ways. You know, the, the White House is so worried about their sort of PR and everything. I said, she told me to it something? was a major covert operation. I said, if anybody finds out about this event, we're going to pull it. Dozens of family physicians flew into D.C., They had no idea they were going to meet the president and be showcased. So how's the doctors? We didn't even tell them that they were going to be in the Rose Garden with the president. We just said that this White House event just come. They found out the night before over a spaghetti dinner. So it has to be like a surprise, like doctors parachuted and here they are.
1: It's actually wonderful to hear because Alice and I have not talked about that event in years and years and years. And so hmm, brought back some good memories there.
0: Aw, well, that's great. I guess I was playing it because I was like, oh, there's a little mischievousness in Vivek Murthy, Dr. Murthy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, she's absolutely right. We had to keep things confidential for a period of time. But I'll tell you this, that it was, for us, it was actually about more than having, uh, you know, the doctors in the Rose Garden, because we wanted more than a photo op. We wanted the administration to see that they were doctors who were not only excited to work with them to move forward a health plan, but they were also there to hold them accountable to make sure that it got done. Doctors who were invested, who were putting themselves on the line in a public way because they believed in this. And that meant that the administration needed to deliver.
0: As you're campaigning, President Obama's proposal loses the public option. And so now it's a proposal to get millions of Americans insured by paying a private insurance company. After this
1: meeting, Speaker Nancy Pelosi emerged saying she very much wants a public option, that it's essential. Uh, and that's not what other Democrats are saying. There seems to be some real division here.
0: Her There's of- a rift that begins to develop very prominently over the Obama proposal. In your group too, right? It gets ugly.
1: This was a very hard time uh, for the organization because there were a variety of opinions internally. Some folks in leadership thought, as an organization, we should recommend that our members still stay supportive and others who thought that we should recommend exactly the opposite. What we ended up doing is recognizing that we our original purpose was to give doctors a voice, not necessarily to tell them what to think or what to say. So we had doctors in Ohio, for example, who were fiercely protective of the public option, who wrote op-eds to say that the public option must be part of the bill. And we had doctors who didn't feel that strongly about the public option, who wrote letters to the editor and who visited members of Congress and said, we need to move forward with this regardless of the public option. So our doctors ended up doing different things. But but keep in mind, our, our fundamental reason for existing was to give doctors a voice, not necessarily to ensure that they were all saying the same thing.
0: So you're a grassroots organization with doctors actively advocating kill the bill and pass the bill.
1: Yes. Yeah, that was happening for some period of time. That moment, that could have torn apart the organization, but it felt like we had to do that in order to stay in integrity with, with who we were.
0: There's a saying from the civil rights era. It goes something like, if you are comfortable in your coalition, your coalition is too small. In March 2010, the Affordable Care Act passes. And then... Have you ever had a phone call that changed your life? That's coming up after the break.
1: Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events.
0: Did President Obama just give you a call one day and say, hey, I kind of like you. Want to be my Surgeon General?
1: (laughs) No, that did not happen.
0: In my fantasy life, that's how it happened.
1: <laughs> he texted you,
0: hey, I like you.
1: <laughs> no, no, it was not like that at all. Um, it, what happened, it was, it was actually a very short phone call that I received from a representative uh, from the White House who asked me if I would be interested in being considered for the post of Surgeon General.
0: So it's like a non a non committal kind of ask, like, "Hey, if I wanted you, would you want me?"
1: Yes, exactly. Something like that. Yeah. And it was all very opaque. Only thing he told me is he said multiple people have put your name forward for this role, but he wouldn't tell me who they were. There wasn't any details around the timeline, decision making process. It was all there was a lot of opacity to it. It was just a simple question: Would you be interested in being considered?
0: Yes, he'd be very interested. And he gets the nomination. President Obama wants Vivek to be America's top doc, to have the ultimate megaphone, the bully pulpit on health matters. Vivek comes on the radar because, like the president, he is a community organizer. Vivek, by defying the rules of his industry, signals he is a leader. Vivek is only 37 years old. He just has to go before the Senate for a confirmation hearing. Now... I went back and I watched that hearing. Let me just say, there were some memorable moments.
1: Chairman, Dr. Murthy, welcome. Do you know Dr. Raj the director of USAID? I don't know him personally.
0: Here's Vivek, being very polite as then-Senator Johnny Isaacson. asked him if he knows this other Indian guy.
1: No. My first
0: piece of advice, if you're confirmed, is to go have lunch with him. You share a heritage. Your
1: voices are identical. <laughs>
0: Their voices are nowhere close to identical. Vivek laughs it off. South
1: Carolina. You ever been to Dodge City, Kansas?
0: Then Senator Pat Roberts started playing matchmaker, it seemed.
1: I have not, sir, but I would love to come. Well, good. I'm going to invite you. Yeah, because we have a wonderful doctor from India. Uh, she's in her mid-30s, and she is highly respected by the community.
0: Vivek was a bachelor at the time kind of lost it with this well intended, but also racist treatment that just about every person of color has experienced firsthand. Vivek had fans and critics in the Senate. Republican Senator Lamar Alexander skewered him as a political it's, hack. Uh, much of your credential it seems to me is is a political credential that much of your work has been devoted to electing the current president and advocating the new health care law, all of which is your perfect right to do as a as an American citizen. But as a public official, if that becomes your principal purpose in the bully pulpit, uh, that's uh, that gets to be a problem. There are at least they cited problem. you tweeting about the NRA, the National Rifle Association, and the need for gun control following uh, a tragic mass shooting. Vivek, how did it feel for you to be described, characterized, or you know even attacked in that way?
1: Well, you know, it didn't feel good because it never feels good to be attacked, but it also was so clear to me that that was not who I was and it was a caricature. Uh, This is one of the risks though that I knew, which was a risk that when you stand up for a policy or position that you believe in and when those issues are politicized that people may label you as being political. Um, When I was being labeled as political on issues related to guns and gun violence, it was because I had said that I believe that gun violence was a public health issue in our country because so many people were dying for preventable reasons. Now I don't in any way regret any of those statements. Somebody asked me if I could go back and just revise history and not say those, would I do it? But I never at once thought, hey I shouldn't have said that because I think the day we stop standing up for what we believe in is the day that we start to die inside in terms of our integrity and as a person. Um, But regardless, It didn't feel great, you know, to have people accuse you of something that you're not, especially in the public stage. But unfortunately, that is part of that process.
0: It took 13 months for Vivek to gain approval. Politico called him one of the highest profile beneficiaries of the Senate's nuclear option. That, by the way, was when the Senate literally changed its rules, making confirmations possible with just the majority of senators as opposed to 60.
1: The ayes are 51, the nays are 43, and the nomination is confirmed.
0: Surgeon General Murphy won the slimmest of majorities with just a lone Republican supporter. There's something I want to explain to you about the timing of this recorded conversation that you're hearing. Vivek and I, we talked last year, before the pandemic hit. He's a friend of mine, and I was putting together a proof of concept for Art of Power, and I needed someone to interview. Basically, he was doing me a favor. And I happened to catch him at a time that was really vulnerable for him. He was kind of unemployed. After former President Trump took office, he let Vivek go. That's standard— But the way it happened was not. Vivek came into work one day, ready for a meeting. His ID was confiscated. Security escorted him out. No notice. When I spoke with Vivek about it, he told me, I lost the people I worked with overnight. I couldn't even say goodbye to them. It was jarring being ripped apart from the team. Vivek says it left him feeling ashamed.
1: From the outside, I think we look at people's lives and they look so neatly stitched up and we can see, oh, there's this beautiful narrative in their life. They must have done such a great job planning this all out and putting the pieces in place where they must have had all the right connections to make it happen. And we don't see what's actually happening in terms of how that life is composed and how messy it is. It's like when you eat in a restaurant, things look great. You go back to the kitchen. It might be a lot messier than you think. And the kitchen of my life was quite messy and disorderly. I was lost at times. I was unsure of what to do. I was not sure, you know, even when I was committing to things, if they were the right thing to be committing to.
0: You know, Vivek, what surprises me about what you're saying, and yeah, this is again, uh, it's feeding into what we assume, certain stereotypes, et cetera, but I would just assume that you'd leave the surgeon general position. And have a ton of dream jobs just thrown at you. I just imagine a mountain of of dazzling offers at your feet.
1: Well, um, you know, I was blessed to, to have offers yeah, and inquiries about you know fancy jobs and serving on fancy boards, but they didn't feel right to be honest with you. You know what they felt like? They felt like jobs that we would be great to get, but then not so great to do. And I think the feeling I had coming out was that I need to do something that's as impactful and as significant as what I was just doing. But I couldn't quite picture what that would be.
0: At the time of our conversation, Vivek and I had zero clue about the roller coaster awaiting him just around the corner. His life slowed down when Vivek got fired from his Surgeon General job it was an opportunity to stop and focus on his family.
1: I have a wonderful wife, you know, who I have responsibilities to. I have a a son, you know, at that time who was nine months old uh, when I ended my time in government. I'm blessed with a daughter about a year later. And so I'm also trying to figure out how do I be a good member of the family? How do I be a good father, a good spouse, and do justice to these young children who are growing up and a wife who's extraordinary, while still trying to figure out what I actually want to do and where I want to put my time. You know, there was no easy way to do that. And I think this is the messiness of life. And it's given me much greater empathy, I think, for others who are going through periods of searching. But whenever I see a success story, like I always remind myself that there's a lot more behind those stories that we don't know. And very few paths are neat and tidy. Life just isn't that way.
0: Vivek also decided to write his first book. The book is a deep dive into the exact topic that's defined his life the hunt for meaningful human connection. It's called Together.
1: Together the healing power of human connection in a sometimes lonely world. Dr. Morthy joined us. Just
0: as Vivek was getting ready to launch the book and feeling all the uncertainty of, will anyone care? COVID 19 sends the entire world into lockdown loneliness. It becomes an insanely newsy topic. Just about every newsroom in America wants to talk to the vet. Dr. Murthy, first, you know, I want to get capitalized on your expertise as a public health expert. What will your advice be? His book becomes a a New York Times bestseller. He has seemingly limitless opportunities to share his thesis.
1: A lot of the issues that we were working on, whether it was addiction or whether it was issues around violence or chronic illness or depression, that many of these issues were deeply connected in some ways to loneliness and the growing isolation that people feel.
0: In addition to newsrooms, leading companies are suddenly thinking about loneliness, human connection, and how to make physical interaction safe. Airbnb, Netflix, Carnival Cruises, they hire Vivek as an expert consultant. He gets paid more than $2 million in pandemic consulting fees. And as this dad, author, COVID-19 expert consultant is running around while sheltering in place, he gets another call. It's presidential candidate Joe Biden. He wants Vivek to be his campaign's COVID-19 advisor. And after Biden wins the election, he nominates Vivek to return to his old job. This time around...
1: The yeas are 57, the nays are 43, the nomination is confirmed.
0: He was again narrowly confirmed as Surgeon General, only it happened a lot more quickly.
1: I think the problem, though, is that when we do consume the neat story, you know, through whatever medium we encounter it, what that does is not just, I think, give us a false impression of other people's lives, but I think it places expectations on ourselves that hey, that's the life that we should be leading, and that if our process is messy, if we're lost, if we're unsure what we're doing, if we're fumbling through life, uh, you know, mired in uncertainty, that somehow we're a failure and that we're doing it wrong. And I'm realizing that that's how most people actually do it. They may not be public about it, we may not ask about it, but the process of living is messy.
0: My lessons from Surgeon General Vivek Murthy. 1. The model minority is a cute story, but not the full story. Behind every exceptional rise, there is risk-taking. Risk is a precondition for massive reward. 2. In a world that is messy, luck is a real force. So many factors beyond your control will propel or thwart you. Three, purpose is a real force, too. If you stay connected to your purpose, the work that excites your spine, be it public or intensely private, hidden, out of sight, like when you're writing or parenting, you will be well positioned to ride luck when it comes. This episode of Art of Power was produced by Justin Bull, Candace Mattel-Khan, and me, Arthi Shahani. Our executive producer is Kevin Dawson. Our intern is Hina Srivastava. A bit of music in this episode by Blue Dot Sessions. Okay, now's the part of the show where I ask you for a favor. Concrete action, a call to action. I'd like you to consider buying essential oils. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I want you to review the episode, okay? Please take out the phone, unless you're driving, and leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. Sounds silly, but these things really do add up. It's how we get the word out. It's you letting the world know, hey, this is quality. It's worth your time. Please share with your friends and family. Let me know what you think. Text me at 917-708-5139. On Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Arthie411. I want to hear from you. Vivek, what I'm supposed to do is ask you about your greatest accomplishment in your tenure, right? Like that's what I'm supposed to do. But do you want to guess what it is according to me and my research? (laughs) Um... Take a guess or two.
1: Okay. Maybe I would guess something around opioids. Opioids? Or maybe around around e-cigarettes.
0: E-cigarettes? I'm not sure. Take one more guess.
1: Uh, or maybe something connected to emotional health and well-being. Closer. Loneliness. Vivek. Yeah. I don't know. Those would be my guesses.
0: <laughs> you got married to your coworker.
1: Oh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think that's hands down your greatest accomplishment. All right. Yes.
1: Thank you for reminding me of that.
0: <laughs> I'm going to play for all those listening the voice we've already heard. I'm going to play a little snippet from Dr. Alice Chen. This is her reaction to when you first met. I just had very little impression of him that first time because it was probably like, I mean, we all chitty chatted for maybe five minutes
1: before we got into phonebacking. we a bunch of doctors. We're very really focused.
0: Very little impression. No sparks, she said.
1: <laughs> yeah, she's right. Yeah, we were just, uh, we were just,